Yes, hello everyone. How's it going? What's the crack? My name is Michael and welcome back to a brand new episode of the McLaugh Podcast. I hope everyone's keeping well. I hope everyone's having a, a fantastic day wherever you're and however you're listening from. And as always, I uh, thank you so much for doing so. Um, how's things? Have, uh, have you been enjoying the World Cup? Um... It's been a bit mental. I don't really know how to describe it up until this point, other than a bit hectic. Um, that's probably most of what we'll talk about in this episode. Well, a, a good bit of it, and then in other news, I suppose we may as well start with the the big news, the 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 breaking news that has just come out today, in that Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, after last week's temper tantrum interview, tell all interview. You know, shocking, revealing interview with Piers Morgan. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is now no longer a Manchester United player. Effective immediately, mind you. So, obviously, they've had a while to think about it. And, he, you know, there was maybe a bit of a suspension talked about. And, you know, obviously, he was away to the World Cup. So, there was no club activities from to be suspended from. And then, there was maybe a fine. Maybe he's going to be sued for slander. Uh, you know, legal battles. No, just completely cut ties. That's it. Done. Thank you. And the club tweeted something along the lines of, "We thank him for his immense contribution over two spells at the club." Um, basically a nice nod to him being a club legend, but also see, ya. he uh, he's gone, and uh, God knows where he'll end up now. I don't imagine that it'll affect his form too much. In the World Cup, because I, I, I would I would say he was pretty checked out of Manchester a long time ago, pretty much as soon as he left to go to join the Portugal squad. I would imagine that's when he decided that, uh, yeah, I won't be back to Manchester. Thank you very much. And um, some other people who mightn't be, back, mightn't be back to Manchester and a bit of a shocking twist following the past couple of years of protests, uh, the Glazers are reportedly considering, now nothing's confirmed, considering selling Manchester United. What? Um, all these protests, all these walkouts, all these storming the stadiums before big matches. Um, the North Scarfs, if, uh, if you're not a fan of United, most people just call them North Scarfs, uh, might actually be slowly getting somewhere. Now, they didn't come out and outright say that they were going to sell the club. It was, they're looking to find different ways to financially and commercially grow the club. Um, whether that be finding new funding from someone else, changing the structure of how the club's run, and then in that list was also the potential option for a sale. Um, so that is the potential at the minute for two, probably, no, sorry, the two biggest clubs in the Premier League to be up for sale at the one time, Liverpool and Man United, and God Almighty, can you imagine the debate that'll cause online when one club sells for X amount of billions and the other one sells for Y amount of millions? And, uh, you know, get compared. We were more valuable this, that, and the other, but there's so many factors to take into, into consideration, and uh, that's a debate for another time. But I suppose it, we'll have a look over... The past week or so of sports, I did one of these episodes, one of these podcasts last week, um, talking about uh, Ronaldo 
Verstappen being crybabies and the Formula One and loads of different things. And we'll talk about all that uh, throughout this one as well. Um, and we'll just we'll, we'll sort of t- pick up where we left off last week. Um, the World Cup has started. Uh, there have been already some shock results, some expected results, um, and some pretty boring games along the way. It's I'm recording this on Tuesday night, so the the last game that's just finished has been France versus Australia. France beating Australia four one after going one 0 down early on in the first half. And uh, according to the commentators earlier on, Australia haven't kept a clean sheet in a World Cup since nineteen seventy eight, which is ridiculous. I know they mightn't have qualified since all of them, but the last time they had a World Cup clean sheet was that long ago. Um, that's what, like, 46-odd years ago? 44-odd years ago? It's mental. And then, uh, the world, well, it started off with Qatar versus Ecuador on Sunday, and quite frankly, I couldn't give a damn. Um, I went up to watch the university's uh, American football team, and that was great. That was really enjoyable. Had the Formula 1 Grand Prix the last race of the season on on my phone while I was watching the match. And then it all of a sudden dawned on me at about, you know, 20 to 4 that the actual World Cup starts um, in 20 minutes. And nobody seemed to care. You know, that match came and went um, without really any sort of fuss. Uh, there was obviously the whole speculation and talk. Was this match fixed? Had the Qataris paid off, as was seen in a tweet, millions and millions to the Ecuador players to lose 1-0 in the second half. Now, the only people laughing about that at the end of the day are the bookies because the amount of people that absolutely lumped on uh, for Qatar to win 1-0 with the goal coming in the second half was just ridiculous. Um, so my, you know, sort of sometimes cynical brain started to think that maybe did one of the, did one of the bookies maybe just leak that? one of the bookies just make this up that this bribe had taken place and pay a quote-unquote trustworthy source to tweet this out. They get money in their pocket while in turn thousands if not millions of people back this 1-0 Qatar result and, you know, the bookies pocket as well. That's me being overly cynical. That's just me um, hypothesising, really. You know, there's there's no uh, substance to that whatsoever. I just like to, you know think a little differently when it comes to these situations. So, Qatar lost in the opening match, and then on Monday, England played, and England got off to an absolute flyer. They beat... Uh, who the hell did they, oh, beat Iran. They beat Iran 6-2. Um, could have been more. Could honestly have been about 10. Um, Iran had a couple more chances, but I say a couple more, very few more chances. They scored a penalty in the last kick of the ball basically to make it 6-2 instead of 6-1 and that got England's campaign off and running and um, then the, as I said before the beliefs the, the, the lads over here start to get the belief behind them again could they do it could football come home nearly did in the Euros is it going to come home in the World Cup I still don't pardon me I still don't think it will but it's off to a good start anyway the next game's against the USA on Friday night, and if England win that game, they qualify for the for the next round of the competition because Wales and the USA drew in their match yesterday, and the Netherlands beat Senegal two 0 and then that brings us on to today, and the shock 
of the tournament. I, I doubt you'll get a bigger shock the rest of this tournament unless Saudi Arabia go on to do it again. But Saudi Arabia beat Lionel Messi's Argentina 2-1. Two second half goals from the Saudis. Saw them come back and beat uh, an Argentina team that could have been 4-0 up. They had three disallowed goals. Messi scored a penalty in the first 10 minutes of the game. Um, there was one of them, one of the offside goals from watching the replay should not have been offside whatsoever. Um, just absolutely shouldn't have been. Um, and then other ones were ruled out. And they were sort of like, okay, yeah, that's understandable. But the the task is now an uphill one for Argentina and uh, Lionel Messi. I suppose the only saving grace for them is really that uh, Poland and Mexico drew. Um, so they're they're not miles behind anybody. Um, they're only they're only the one pint one not the one pint the one point behind those teams and the three points behind Saudi Arabia. Um, but everybody, that's another one the bookies were absolutely laughing at. Everyone was uh, writing that off uh, as an Argentina victory from the get go. Just completely laughable to think of anything else. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how how, how the battle back from that because I mean they played they played all right Argentina. As I said, they created the chances, but where that Saudi performance come from, we we have no idea. But uh, something I just want to go back to real quick, um, talking about Manchester United, um, just because I looked down at my notes and realised I forgot to mention it earlier on. This isn't the first time that uh, a superstar, shall we say, and I used that word last week, a big player, a big-named player, has had a bit of a bust-up and left Old Trafford. Now, the previous one, it hasn't happened in years. Previous ones all come under Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, but if you look back at it, unfortunately, Manchester United seem to have a bit of a history with um, players, you know, maybe becoming a bit of a diva, maybe acting up, maybe egos getting a bit too much for themselves and then getting themselves kicked out of the club or or leaving on bad terms. Um you know, happened with Roy Keane, happened with David Beckham, and just before I started recording this episode, I realised it also happened with Ruud van Nistelrooy, over the head of Cristiano Ronaldo, believe it or not. Van Nistelrooy made some sort of joke to Ronaldo in training, uh, along the lines of, go cry to your dad, but he was referring to uh, Manchester United's assistant manager at the time, Carlos Quiraz. But of course the joke didn't go down too well with Ronaldo who had lost his actual father just about eight months before. So that was a huge bust up. Ronaldo obviously massively upset over it. And with the talent that he was at the time when he complained, Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, I would say at this point, looking back quite rightly, so did take his side. And Ruud van Nistelrooy then left and went to Real Madrid. So that was something interesting I thought I'd bring up. um, That... This this seems to be a reoccurring theme with uh, Manchester United and their big talents. And the one player I don't want it to happen to, which I could see happening uh, somewhat likely, would be uh, Garnacho. The kid's talented. He's a really, really good footballer, but he seems to have a bit of an attitude about himself. He seems to have himself above everybody else. And it, there's one thing being confident and you know believing in your abilities, but... When you put that above 
plan as part of a team, then it just doesn't work out. So hopefully he can keep himself grounded enough to where he achieves the highest of highs with Manchester United, but doesn't basically let it blow up in his face or, or, or ruin it for himself and in continuing this unfortunate tradition where Manchester United seem to have fallouts with their their big players. Um, so yeah, the World Cup continues. Uh, we'll jump back into it for a second. Um, France, as I say, winning 4-1 tonight against Australia. Um, without Karim Benzema, Paul died injured just before the start of the tournament. Um, but nonetheless, still able to find the goals. Uh, I know Giroud scored twice and Rabiot scored, and I can't think of who scored the fourth one. Uh, might have been Mbappe, might have been Griezmann. Let's go have a quick Google search to see who scored France's fourth goal. Um, friend of mine actually, is actually in France at the minute, and he says the atmosphere tonight was unbelievable. Um, I could imagine so. Just that, I mean, like it was here uh, for, for the England game, but there's a level of expectation here for England to do well, so getting those first couple of goals against Iran was more relief rather than anything. And then I imagine with France going 1-0 down so early on to then come back and win like they did win would be quite a joyous you know, feeling, quite a joyous celebration. Yeah, Kylian Mbappe got... Well, he actually got the third and Giroud got the fourth. But uh, those were the goal scorers. Rabiot, Giroud and Mbappe. And then we have four matches tomorrow again this... 10 a.m., 1 p.m., 4 p.m., 7 p.m. schedule. You know, it could get it could get out of hand right and quickly. Do you know what I mean? That's a, that's a that's a long day of watching football. And if you'd nothing else to be at, I mean, get yourself a few beverages. You know, alcoholic percentage is of course your own choice, and plant yourself in front of the TV for the entire day. Because what the hell else are you going to? It's a random World Cup in the winter. We'll probably never see anything like this for another 20. Well, depends how <laughs> depends how corrupt FIFA really is. We could say it again in another fifteen years. Hopefully, we don't see anything like this when we go back to summer World Cups. But uh, the the uh, the level of the, sorry the amount of games each day is just incredible. World Cup twenty twenty two. So I know back to tomorrow. Fantastic listening again. I do apologize. I like to ramble on during these things while I Google things. So yes, tomorrow ten a.m. Morocco. Well, th- this will be today. When you're hearing this, this episode will be released 9 o'clock Wednesday morning. If you're listening to this before 10 o'clock, well, first of all, thank you for listening to this in the first hour that it's been released. Um, but coming up at 10 o'clock is Morocco versus Croatia. 1 o'clock, and what I think will be a great game, Germany-Japan. 4 p.m., Spain-Costa Rica. And then tomorrow night at 7 p.m., Belgium-Canada. Could be a great game. And then again, same again on Thursday with a... A 10, 1, 4 and 7. Same again on Friday with the England game versus the USA being the 7 o'clock one, which myself and a few other people will be out for. Now, that, that'll that be exciting. That'll be, that'll be a big, big game, as I said. But those games tomorrow, I think Belgium, Germany, Japan, um, Belgium, Canada are the pick of it for me. Um, I think Canada could be a bit of a, not, not, a, not a competition winning surprise package, but a you know, a fun-to-watch to team surprise package. And then Japan are just always workhorses in competitions like this, just always brilliant, always consistent. And the, the, their support as well, whether or not they've travelled in big numbers this time because of sort of the restrictions on fans and whatever else, who knows. But they're always respectful, always brilliant, always sort of um, remember whenever the stay behind, was it after the World Cup 2018? 
to help tidy up the stands in, in Russia. Um, or it might have been Brazil, the World Cup before. I can't remember exactly, but Japan are always a lot of fun to watch in these international tournaments. So yeah, another, another, but not a week or so, if not just slightly more, of group games. Constant group games right the way through, and then obviously it moves into the knockout stages where games become a wee bit more sporadic, and the final then being on the 18th. Um, I do hope to sort of keep doing these podcasts, not necessarily World Cup based, but just sort of sports weekly sports roundup base um, just because I have all the equipment here I'll be going home over Christmas I mightn't have it with me so I'd like to get a, a bank of a good few episodes in before that and, and speaking of episodes I mean this is episode number 50 uh, I didn't really want to make a song and dance about it because I had nothing special planned or haven't really achieved anything you know to, to make a song and dance of I just really enjoy doing this and the fact that I've managed to get through 50 episodes from starting it in lockdown in my room to sort of fallen out of the idea with it a wee bit because I realised that every man and his dog had a podcast to going back to doing it because I do just enjoy it. Um, 50 episodes is pretty cool. So yeah, hopefully hopefully keep it going and, you know, see see how long I keep it going for. Um, so yeah, Formula 1 season ended at the weekend. Uh, they're still testing today, but today was the last day of post-season testing, which to me is mental. You know, these drivers have raced all year long hard and fast and then have to get back in and do not they're not meaningless testing sessions but you could just imagine they feel so deflated and couldn't be bothered doing them um max verstappen won the abu dhabi grand prix charles leclerc comes second ahead of max's teammate sergio perez following last week's sort of spot still think max was completely in the wrong for it um, he did try to save face a wee bit with a couple of positive radio messages like tell Checo to do this and tell Checo to do that um, it all comes across as just one big show uh, it was Sebastian Vettel's last race he is now retired from Formula 1 and leaving him also is Danny Ricciardo, Nicholas Latifi and Mick Schumacher um, who were given some really strange Words of encouragement by none other than Nikita Mazepin. Now, for those of you who don't know or have seem to have forgot, uh, Nikita Mazepin uh, was a driver in Formula One last year. He basically was only in there because his dad sponsored the team that he drove for. But when all this Russia-Ukraine stuff kicked off, uh, you know, people did their their research and sort of, you know, pointed out the fact that Mazepin's dad. Uh, was a very good close personal friend um, of Vladimir Putin. And people were like, well, we can't really have that, can we? You know, you're in this sport because your dad's money. Your dad's money is also being used to fight this war. Um, so you're out. But in a shocking return, ladies and gentlemen, Nikita Mazepin has decided to deliver his five points of wisdom for drivers who have just recently left Formula 1. Now, this is Nikita Mazepin, who had one season, speaking to four-time world champion uh, Sebastian Vettel, which I just thought was absolutely hilarious that he would even consider doing that. And here's what he had to say. Here, here were his the, the five stages. Um, denial, stage two. Anger, stage three. Bargaining, stage four. Depression, Stage 5, acceptance. And then he leaves a personal anecdote sort of message 
to Vettel, Ricciardo, Latifi and Schumacher. But I mean, let's, let's just go back through them here real quickly. This is the guy, as I said, who had one season racing in the sport. Was horrible, was, you know, slower than Latifi was at most points. And was just basically a bit of a job. It was worth filling the seat because his dad had the money to keep the other drivers and other people uh, in a job. So denial. You'll find yourself driving circles around your apartment building. Don't make the mistake I made. Turn on your stopwatch. It's entirely possible that another F1 team will be interested in your results and you won't have to endure the next four stages. Didn't happen for Mazepin. Might happen for the other guys. Um, stage 2, anger. You blame everyone but yourself for having to leave F1, basically saying, like, well, everyone else shafted me out of this. It wasn't due to the fact that I'm absolutely pants at driving this machine. Uh, particularly the Drive to Survive film crew. You watch the races obsessively and yell at the screen. Again, saying there that the Netflix show screwed him over because uh, it painted him in a bad light. Don't think there was too much painting needed on. I think that's just generally what him and his family were like. Stage 3, bargaining. You hold a press conference where you put on a brave face and thank the team principal who fired you in the hopes that your cheerful smile and natural charm will get you a seat with a new team. Didn't happen, Mazepin. Nice try. You'll not be in Formula 1 again. Seb's retiring. If he wants to come back, he'd walk into any team in the next five years. Not a problem. Danny Rick already going to be back as a reserve driver. Supposedly so with Red Bull. And then seats are going to open up in 2024. I imagine he has a pathway back in then. Mick Schumacher. Uh, it's tough for him. You know, it, would, it, would def- it wouldn't be one of the big teams. It would begin a bit further down the grid. Maybe, potentially, people are saying sort of rumours that when Audi joined the sport in a few years' time, him and Vettel come back as an all-German pairing for the German constructor. You know, that could be something maybe works towards that. Who knows, if he gets some sort of assurances. And then Nicholas Latifi, I think, is just a, he was another paid driver. He's out the gap anyway. He'll not be back. Um, Nikita Mazepin, stage four, depression, drink, party, on yacht, sleep it off, gain 5 kilos, repeat on endless loop. This will not be an easy stage to get through, but your friends will enjoy it. So basically, he was like, my friends had me back for a while, and then I went back into training mode. Not that he exactly is training for Formula 1 again, but, you know, he binged for a while. Stage 5, acceptance, congratulations, you've reached the final Grand Prix of being shown the exit. You stop obsessing about F1 and start thinking about your next steps while keeping yourself in shape and keeping the door open for a return. Mazepin, son, your door's slammed shut, welded, bolted tight, thrown at the bottom of the ocean, won't ever be open again. So stop thinking about it. Other motorsports series? Potentially. But not with your dad's money, because no one's going to want it anymore, because it's rotten, because he's funding Putin and this war. What you did do, though, was go DJ, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. Fair play you find a new passion. I know I'm speaking directly to Mazepin here, like he'll ever listen to this, but I just thought, you know, I'd address this when I seen it, because it was absolutely comical. Um, He seems to be this all-wise figure, because he went through this experience of leaving Formula 1. Get over yourself, fella. Sebastian, so this is this is what he said then to each driver at the end of it. Remember I said he, he, he left sort of an anecdote or a story for each person. To Sebastian, total respect to your climate initiatives. I'm sure they will be a gr- of great use not only to the racing community, but to who else? He didn't finish that. I don't know why he didn't. Uh, to Daniel, 
I know you will always keep your sense of humor. I predict predict great things for you in stage four. Stage four was depression, drink, party on yachts, sleep it off, gain five kilos, repeat. Um, where you can drink all kinds of things out of your shoes, be creative. That's alluding to Danny Rick's shoes that he does every time he gets a podium. Nicholas, thanks to you, the team and fans can look optimistically into the future. No doubt you will surprise us. I have no idea what that means. And I'm pretty sure if Latifi read it as well, he would also have no idea what that means. Thanks to you, the team and fans can look optimistically to the future. Is he sort of, is he saying like, now that you're out of there, King, you know, we'll, we'll, but, you know, all the fans here are delighted and we can move on, we can forget about you. Is he saying like, thank you for your service to the Williams team, you know, you've really helped progress the team and move them forward. Because that's not really true. In fact, it's not even slightly true. If anything, Latifi's been a massive financial hindrance. Um, despite being one of the main sources of income. So try to figure that one out. He's bringing most of the money in, yet spend most of it himself because he just keeps crashing the car every time he gets into it. Um, and then a, a message to his former teammate, Mazepin. To Mick. We grew up in this sport together and I wish you luck going forward. I'm sure we will get a lot of likes from Pierre Gasly. Pretty dry mundane attempted humour there at the end. Whether him and Schumacher ever did become friends, who knows. Um, you know, I don't think they really got along too well because Mick seemed to be being preferred rather than Mazepin. Um, at least, you know, I'll hold my hands up. That's what Drive to Survive showed. That's what uh, the Mazepins were complaining about. And... You know, maybe I'm wrong. Probably am. Who knows? But that that's 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 the world of Formula One at the minute. We're down now. We're close to a hundred days until the first race again in Bahrain. Uh, sometime in March in the new year. So we've all Christmas to go without it, and then the new year you start to hear little rumors about cars developing this and doing this and whatever else. And last year was full of it, obviously because of the new regulations. This year might be a wee bit quieter, but then you'll start to see the cars reveals and new liveries, whatever teams do, um, maybe new sponsorships and things like that. So, quiet Christmas, slowly getting a louder winter into the start of spring then when Formula 1 does return. Um, what else is coming to close? What else have I got written down in my notes? Yes, Rory McIlroy has won the DP World Tour. Um... I think it's maybe the second or third time now that he's won it. Uh, and it was a great weekend for Irish golf uh, overall. Seamus Power finished tied fifth in the PGA Tour in Georgia. And Leona Maguire finished second individually in Florida. So Irish golfers doing themselves proud, as always. I mean, you know, Ireland's always done well with golfing with Graham Dole, Darren Clark, Pod- Podrick Harrington, Shane Lowry. It's always been uh, it's always been a strong point of ours. So that's McElroy then'll be back onto the PGA tour. If he ever stops fighting with Liv and all that drama that's going on, um that'll eventually I don't know what the hell's gonna happen with it in the end. But uh, it's it's fun drama for now, I suppose. And also, yes, at the start of next year, some point at the start of next year here, January sort of time, golf. I just stick with me when I say this because most people will laugh it off and won't care. Golf is getting a Drive to Survive style documentary. Now, you know that super cool 
multi-million dollar racing high-speed cars easy enough to make interesting sport of Formula One. You know the way I got a documentary? Well, the multi-million pound, four, multi-million dollar, four hours around, usually played by old men, golf, is getting a, a drive-to-survive style documentary. Now, don't get me wrong, I love golf, so I'm going to eat this documentary up. But the aim of Drive to Survive was to grow the sport to a bigger audience, and by God did they succeed at doing that. Really? It, it just blew the sport to a, a different stratosphere altogether. It, it, its reach was you know, undeniable, and now Formula One's one of the biggest sports in the world. Golf is played all over the planet. We all know that. But people find it boring. People find it too long and dreary, and as I said, only played by old grandas and grannies who are retired and have nothing else to do. So I'll be really interested to see how they're going to make a behind-the-scenes style documentary really spruce the world of golf up. Where did they have microphones on? What events were they at? Obviously the whole Live Golf versus PGA Tour has been uh, an incredible sort of thing to watch from a neutral's point of view. Where were the cameras during those discussions? What 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 have they got that's going to really make golf appealing to you know more people? Is it just are they are they going to just try to bring people in for drama's sake? Because then people's going to be walking down to their local golf club expecting to see you know two lads bitching about each other, arguing because you know it's what they're seeing on the Netflix show. Are they going to be promoting you know? You know, our driving range is going to be promoting, as seen on Netflix, golf. <laughs> you know, I don't know how you dress it up any more than it's already dressed up. Um, but if it's good behind-the-scenes content, if it's entertaining, if it's not over-dramatized like Drive to Survive has become and just tells the truth but from a behind-the-scenes point of view, that'll be exciting. And the producer or the director, the guy that's editing it, um, did come out on Twitter a while ago and says there will be memes. So obviously he's got some very good clips, some very uh, quotable quotes that he's able to use, and let's just hope that whatever they decide to do with it is uh, is entertaining. And that about wraps it up, folks. I've got to the bottom of my little notebook, notepad here, um, sort of took on the... Ted Kravitz, Ted's notebook style here today where I just jotted down everything on my notebook and when I get to the end of it, it all turns off. Uh, that is a Formula 1 reference for those that don't know. Um, so, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, have a fantastic Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you're listening to this sort of in and around when it's come out, I hope you're enjoying the World Cup. I hope you're enjoying all the sports that are on. And, yeah... Enjoy the run-up to Christmas. Hopefully there'll be another episode of this podcast out next week, just sort of rambling and, and going over uh, the world of sport, uh, sort of week by week, and we'll just keep going from there. Um, if you do want to follow me on any social medias, you can do at the McLav Podcast on Instagram. That's where I share all these podcasts. And then if you go to anchor.fm forward slash the McLav Podcast, you can find all the episodes on whatever uh, platform you do prefer to listen to your podcasts on so whether that be spotify apple podcasts apple music google whatever it is they're all on there so 
that's the rambling done. That's the notebook finished. That's this episode done. And uh, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. And I'll see you all in the next episode of the McLaugh podcast. Cheers. <laughs>